A poem is a small machine made of words. William Carlos Williams. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, exploring the poetry scene of Central Canada and beyond with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak. Welcome to episode two of the Small Machine Talks. I'm Amanda Earl. I'm A.M. Kozak, although I think and hope it's 42 and not two because... Did I say two? You said two and I think we might have gone back a few years and... We've time traveled back to 2016 or something. Oh man, back when uh, my recovery after drinking and after playing sports was a lot faster and... (laughs) Oh man... Yeah. No, well, it's still 2019. All right. And this episode, Amanda, I'm going to turn the table a little bit and I'm going to interview you about your work, which I have not done on this podcast before. Nope. And I won't go into too much detail. We'll do, it'll be a it'll be a relatively quick quick thing, but I, I quick wanted and to painless. <laughs> I wanted to follow up on the discussion we were having last time on visual poetry because you are a practicer of that. Not I practice. Expert, just a practicer. Yeah. A, a player even a player <laughs> uh so and how about i start with your bio because we're going to be talking about your work right. so um, amanda earl's visual poetry has been exhibited in canada brazil and russia and published in the last vispo anthology visual poetry 1998 to 20 2008 from fantagraphics which was published in 2012 it's also in of this of the body from puddles of sky press bone sapling a collaboration with gary barwin from angel house press a field guide to fanciful bugs from from and Ventacular Press, Montparnasse. This is visual poetry uh, from Chapa Publisher. Yep. Okay, That's I was Dan like, Weber. did you forget to write it in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> and then publications from the Visual Bible include Romans, Where Is the River, 2018, Toronto, Ontario, Revelation, Tim Glasset Editions, 2018, Sweden, Ruth, Simulacrum Press, 2018, Hamilton, Ontario, Mark from Above Ground Press, 2018. Esther from Puddles of Sky Press, 2017. Revelation 20 from Note Press, 2017. Uh, Leviticus 12 from Pentarac Press, 2017. Nice reading of Roman numerals there. I know. I had, <laughs> uh, I had questioned myself for a moment. Additional pieces have appeared in H and Our Teeth, A Literature, Brave New World, Dreamland Magazine, Untethered, Astanga.it, Shawdier Books, NPM 2018, and To Call No. 1 from Plogalt's Ooh, Salt's Wechsler in Germany. Yeah. And our forthcoming from Not Your Best Visual Poetry from Knife Fork Book. Revelation 19 and 20 are being exhibited as part of the Concrete is Poor show in Toronto between something until February 26th. Yeah, it actually ended up going until March, so I think it's still going on. Oh, okay. So it is, uh, something's happening at the Secret Handshake Gallery, very cool name. And we'll move to Ottawa's Verse Fest in the Common Ground Gallery in Windsor in 2019. Amanda is grateful to the Ontario Arts Council funding received for some of the work in the Visible Bible in 2018. Thanks for reading that long part. So I stumbled through that. um, (laughs) But, so yeah, you have done a lot in this sphere. And I think your biggest project is probably the Vispo Bible. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. So how about I ask you about that? You've been working on a Vispo Bible for a while now. Can you tell us more about the project and how it's going? I started. Thank you for the. Thank you for reading that bio and for asking the question. Um, I started in 2015. It's a life's work to translate the Bible, uh, chapter, all books, all chapters, all verses, into visual poetry. And actually, something you said inspired me to I, I had thought about doing it but I we were talking it must have been even before 
the podcast, we started to do the podcast. I think it was probably we were sitting at Bar Robo or something thinking podcast might be a good idea. But it was, I was telling you about the project and, and I was saying, but I don't think I would be finished it in my lifetime. And you said, well, so... So what? Do I get a credit in the book somewhere? <laughs> is there a book? <laughs> if oh, I'll try to remember that. Right now you're getting it on the podcast. So All right, yeah. Good enough. So it's a, in theory it's a life's work. I I've done um I started out and the, I think you said something else too. I, I don't know if I'm giving you credit for something you oh, didn't say. If it's positive, I'll take it. It was what if I said something? No, it was something good. It was like I thought I had to go in order. I thought I had to start from <clears> the <throat> very beginning at this Genesis and go right through and do it in order, and which seemed a little bit plodding to me. Yeah. So you said, well, maybe you don't have to go necessarily. You can just go. So I've done basically, I don't know, something like six or seven books in the Old Testament and maybe four or five in the New. So and I've, I, I, the choices I make about what I do, I started in order. So I started with Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and, and, but but then I started to go Deuteronomy and Numbers. Yeah, I I, I, yeah, I did know my num- Bible books by heart. There you go. That's good. I don't have. I've done Numbers, but then I started to go. What happens is, is a, a publisher. Um, one of the neat things that's happening is that um, there have increasingly um, more publishers, especially in Canada, but also in Europe, who are interested in publishing a physical chapbooks and books with visual poetry and even cool. full color. So w- sometimes what I do is I look at how many how many chapters there are in a book and see if that lends itself well to to a chapbook or a book so for instance um Esther was uh, for Puddles of Sky, I think it was about 10 chapters or something okay. like that, or something like John for The Blasted Tree, which is uh, in um, in um, Calgary, was like four or five. So that worked out. So do you do one poem per chapter? Uh, basically, yeah, one, one uh, po- uh, visual poem per chapter. Yeah. Okay, cool. So Genesis was 50, yeah. 50 chapters, so I did 50 for Genesis. Yeah. Deuteronomy, something like that too, as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to what is it, uh, Song of Psalms, or yeah. Oh, that's like 150, I think. Yeah, yeah. 150, but they're all really little. So I'm yeah. sort of I'm thinking about how I want to do that. I'm sort oh, of... I mean, you could be like a letter or a symbol for each chapter. Who knows? It'll be, <laughs> uh, but it will be something interesting. That I'll have to come back. And right now, I'm I'm currently working on Matthew, but it's almost like I I've been working on Matthew for for several um, months, and in, in the sense that I haven't been working Actually on it. Actually, working on it. Yeah, yeah and I don't know. It, it might be on a bit of a hiatus right now. I tried something new with Matthew, and then I I reversed my. I tried like usually I use Photoshop to do it, and yeah. um, but I was thinking of adding maybe some some different practices, and then I don't like it the way it turned out. So I sort of reversed myself and started over again with Photoshop. So. Okay. Yeah. What do you find most interesting or satisfying about the project? Um, well, I guess I, I, I really enjoy uh, the feeling of, of um, it's kind of has, it's really strange. It takes on a kind of a life of its own. As I'm working on it, uh, there are lots of um, parts of it that are, are really just um, Photoshopped, like, you know, re- repeated steps over and over which become kind of like in a way it almost becomes like drudgery like i've tried mm-hmm. to sort of like look at ways to automate some of those some of those steps but which i can't seem to figure out how to do so i at first that was the part that was really interesting to me and it's the part that's less interesting to me now but i do like how the the finished i always know when something is done because okay. i get a kind of a weird shiver about it and mm-hmm. the other thing is i really like the way people react, because people have, I mean, there are some people that will look at, um, like there's the two pieces that are up at the Secret Handshake Gallery, which are full color, 24 by 24 inch 
um, pieces. And that's wow. really cool that they're they're exhibited. And that's yeah. really satisfying to me. And then so some one one time uh, when I was at the gallery for the opening uh, last um, whenever it was here um, last fall, I think I'm not quite sure now last spring. Yeah. Anyway, and um, someone looked at it and said, "But there are no words in there." And it's like, "Yeah, there are. You just have to go close enough to mm. see." And then, and then some people have found all kinds of things. Some people will find a specific. They'll find an animal or a flower, or they'll say, "This looks like something." So I really like the fact that it's open to a lot of interpretation. Some people are offended by the fact that I'm working with the Bible, which is fun yeah. as well. I guess what I like <laughs> is is the opportunities that it has given me. Like I've had lots of things published. I've exhibited. I've given an artist talk at Ottawa U as part of the uh, uh, Canada concrete thing and so I really appreciate um, the opportunities to talk to others about yeah, it. it sounds like it's a way to interact or it's a yeah. something that, in which of which to inter it's something about which to interact yeah and and to talk about visual poetry and and um, I find it really like some people get pretty excited about it which is really cool and they haven't even heard of visual poetry so my stuff is very different for them What's your favorite piece so far that you've done? I think it's um, uh, Revelation. Uh, the book of Revelation is, um, I, for that one, I did full color because of all of the, uh, the Revelation itself is full of color and texture and materials. And aside from the fiery Armageddon yeah. stuff, which is so cool, yeah, it's but a cool uh, book. it's a cool book. And, you know, we've, we've seen lots of apocalyptic films and sort of based on that and shows and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So um, I, I, Revelation 20 is a full color. Um, it's like orange and uh, white and and uh, yeah I like I like how it looks it turned out really well yeah did you want is it possible or did you want to read anything or any of your work or anything from, from there well you, you can't really read it well, that's what I was thinking I don't know I thought you mentioned something about reading something or another maybe you just want the quotes well I, I mean I've read I mean I've, I have an artist talk but it, up on um, Angel House Press um, under essays there's an artist talk which is um, from my um from uh, my presentation at uh, Canada Concrete, and it has a full yes. animation. I mean, you could describe something, I suppose, would be the closest thing to reading it. But that's okay. We will not make you do that. Yeah, I don't. Instead, I don't know if I, I really will ask you to... another question. Okay, good. <laughs> I was like thinking I had to like do an interpretive dance routine, and we had to videotape I don't, it. Okay, yeah, I was going to say the dance might not actually work for this medium, but <laughs> I don't know what would. I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's there's some of the. I'm sure you have some that have like letters you could like sound out or like I don't know. We're not doing that. All right. So as you explain an interview with Gary Barwin uh, from the Jacket 2. Oh, yes. I have grapheme synesthesia. Did I say that right? Yes, synesthesia. Yeah. Which is, which in my case means that the alphabet numbers, months, days, and some names evoke color for me. How does your synesthesia impact or contribute to your visual work? Thank you. It, it was really satisfying for me when I, st one of the things that when I started finding out about visual poetry, I discovered, at least I got the impression that color was not cool. Oh, yeah? Color was not experimental. Color was for people, like, it sort of it was a lot. And I don't know, I, I I didn't think, I thought maybe I made up that impression, but I recently listened to a podcast, uh, the Modpo podcast, I can't remember what it's called, and someone expressed this, that that's what they'd heard, like, this is sort of the general impression. So I was very intimidated by the fact that I like to... Use color. use color and yeah. because color has 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 significance for yeah. me so then i saw the work of gary barwin and judith coppathorn and they used color so that i thought okay and it's not like i i i'm 
but I was kind of afraid of sharing my color work. And some of the, my early visual poetry is all about my synesthesia. It, it, for instance, I have a whole series I did through uh, Dan Weber's site, which took um, took um, as an example of, uh, you know the Rimbaud poem, Voyelle Vowels, which is like A, blue, A, blue. No. Like, anyway, it's from the, from the 19th century, and it's a famous, he actually didn't have synesthesia, but the poem is basically written as if he yeah. did. He ascribes color to to um, to uh, vowels. So mm -hmm. that was really cool. And I, I didn't know about that till I was about 20. I, I thought my synesthesia was something, I didn't know it was something other people had. Okay. So this was this, or at first I thought it was something that everyone had and then I was quickly like <laughs> discovered when I tried to call a boy green whose name was Steve, that that wasn't the case. And that was like in kindergarten or something like that. So when I came to visual poetry and I started to see color work by Gary and Judith, uh, then I then I started to play around with it myself, and so for the longest time, that was mostly what it was for me: trying to get the right color for the for the word or for the you know. And and, and but I I kind of don't do that as much these days. But at first, especially working with specific um, alphabet letters, and so I forgot the word for letter. Oh, great! Then I would do that. But with Revelation, there was some of that going on as well, where some of the words had color, and so I would mm -hmm. put those colors in. So, How specific do you get with the colors when you're working like in paint, for example? Do you just have like, you know, your six basic colors or do you go into shades? Do you get really specific with it? When Because I've I had it all my life. When I was little, I was very frustrated because I, I didn't know the name of I knew it was a green, but I couldn't say emerald green or forest yeah. green because I didn't necessarily know right. all these. You know the language for it. And it's funny what um, what. Um, uh, Joaquin Norling did for Revelation is he asked me what the color of of the word revelation was for me. And it's, or it's orange. I went through the Pantone color, uh, different colors, you know, Pantone, the company that, uh, the paint company. And uh, I, I found the closest thing I could find to the color that revelation meant, the closest orange, and it had a number. For his, right. And I gave him that, and that's what he tried to find for the cover, and he came cool. very close. So, cool. so yeah, and I, I tr but it's, it's frustrating. The other thing about it for me is that I'm at about 80% now when I've tested, but I mean, so I, I guess I, I may have lost some of it. The more I focus, sometimes the more it goes away. So, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there's definitely different colors um, um, shades that I can see I can't always name them mm -hmm. I don't always know what they are uh, but I know some things are darker and lighter and like I know um, uh, if, if something is a chartreuse or you know so yeah I, I, I have a more specific shade in mind okay. it's not I can't always replicate it is that something that you've thought about doing more it was like some sort of associative visual type poetry that you're having colors like words i guess and then the colors that you're associated with them and doing some sort of blend with that i've played with that i've, yeah. I've played with it in the past i was dissuaded by a mm. lot of that when i when i was first sharing my poetry um in a contemporary setting like in in workshops and stuff yeah. uh a lot of times if i use color to describe something someone would say the way i used it was arbitrary and didn't make sense because i had my own like oh, everyone's poo, different those people i know but those people sometimes when you're when you're first yeah they you have know, an impact right? they have an impact so i was i kind of start i got away from it because for me color color isn't always 
like it's it's it sometimes it is as as the same as everyone else like purple will always be a bruise for me but i have like a, a pain levels that are colors for me from um from a green ache to a white stabbing the worst is a white stabbing pain and the orange radiating you know i have different a few different colors and stuff like that so everyone people who have graphene synesthesia they have different colors for the same things and mm. they don't always agree about them so like it's it's not necessarily the same so i've i haven't really It'll come in and out of my work. I think it's always there in in and in, in my visual poetry. Sometimes I just do like for for a lot of the uh, Vispo Bible, a lot of it's black and white. Like a lot of it's just black and white. And some of that's for practical reasons because a lot of times you can't get stuff published yep, that's color. Right? But um, sometimes it just I just it just looks. I like the way it is in black and white. So uh, yeah. So sometimes I go, I go color. Um, I'm almost afraid of engaging with it too much in, in case it ruins it. Because as I said, sometimes if I concentrate too much on it, then I, I find myself losing it. Like Interesting. What? Yeah. Like for the alphabet, there's a lot of alphabet letters that are just black or white. There's a, there's a sports analogy uh, in hockey where you're holding your stick too tight when you're trying too hard to score and then your scoring prowess yeah, disappears. So yeah, I'm always like holding that. my stick too tight in life. <laughs> that's sort of the, that's the analogy for my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hold it too tight. Um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you about is some visual poets that, that you enjoy or you think worth, are worth celebrating. And you have a, um, this thing <laughs> that you published by Brickbooks, uh, mm -hmm. a celebration of Canadian visual concrete poetry, mm -hmm. where you talk to several visual poets worth celebrating. Um, and there's also a bunch of, when I was doing a review research, yeah. research there's some of the ones that I liked and I'll just mention those, uh, not, not ones that you, uh, mentioned in, in yours, but I'll get you to talk about yours in a minute. Some of the ones that I liked were Paula Claire's A Sonnet in Motion, Jesse Patrick's Ferguson Picking, um, Mary Ann Saltz for Seizia and Ian Hamilton Finley's Acrobats. Yeah. And I was also intrigued by where I came across Fuck You, A Journal of the Arts, because it's a hilarious uh, title. <laughs> you can find that at ubu.com, which has a lot of different visual poetry. Ubu, yeah. Ubu, yeah. 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 And uh, and I also, and, and like, and this is a, I, I was reading an essay from Colvert Magazine, Sing Singular Viz Poe First Encounters, and Barry Tollett said that uh, one of his first, um, encounters with visual poetry with E. Cummings and one of my the first my first uh, vis, uh, encounter with visual poetry that I can remember and remember enjoying was E. Cummings poem Grasshopper and it was the first time where I saw like a visual representation of a poem and I also sort of got something out of it because it starts with like the, all the letters in Grasshopper are sort of not in order right and then they keep getting it keeps shifting, but it's also mimicking like a grasshopper getting ready to jump. Right. And I thought that was just mm -hmm. really cool. Um, so what are some visual poets that you would recommend looking into for someone new to the concept, whether you mentioned them and your piece um, with Brick Pokes or not? Oh, okay. Good question. Oh, oh, I, I, okay. If I remember, I, I'm going to ask you a question at the end. Okay. Okay. So um, I'm scared now. There's a, no. <laughs> Satu Kekonen is a Finnish uh, poet, and she does a lot of work with color and a lot of conceptual stuff that's pretty neat. Uh, um, there's uh, Hiromi Suzuki from Japan. Her collages are exceptionally beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, Martin Kopenyi in Hungary. Interestingly, he does a lot of stuff where he'll have like um, something with a bubble, you know, one of those cartoon bubbles, yeah. an empty cartoon bubble. So he interacts with communication. Uh, there's the, uh, in, in Canada, Sasha Archer, uh, who runs Simulacrum, 
from press in mm-hmm. out of Burlington. He does some. I've got on the table somewhere here is uh, is a is a, one a chapbook of his that was done by. Um, Can everyone see that? In, yes, in Spiritus <laughs> Press. And I don't know, is there a type? But I mean, here's some of his cool. And look at the yeah. neat. It's a it's an accordion type uh, thing, and you open yeah. up. It's both sides, and it's there's some interesting shapes and cool things. He does a lot of experimental stuff. Um, Kate Siclosi, I've already mentioned, a Toronto poet. She does. You actually did not mention her in the oh. episode. You mentioned her in the last episode oh, uh, that we had a previous weeks episode. ago. That's when I right. Was here. Uh, the episode we had weeks ago on the table. I have a chapbook of hers by the the uh, uh, somewhere under here uh, by the blasted tree, which is uh, a collection of um, cut-ups that's very neat. Uh, of course, there's Judith Coppathorn, who is, um, I think, the inspiration for uh, for me, all the different things that she's done. I've also got a chapbook of hers under here somewhere, and they're so f- far under that I can't I can't find them to show you. But, oh, here's, here's, uh, here's Kate's. It's called Coop. So you've seen this one, I think. Yes, I have. It's yeah. a it's a bunch of cool yeah. cut up uh, lines and stuff like that. It looks really neat. And Judith, yeah, okay, well she's under there somewhere. And and also I'd like to say mention too the the publishers that are publishing uh, more increasingly visual poetry. Yes, please do. There's Pentaract in the UK, and they've got their anthology Concrete and Constraint that came out recently. Oh, yes. They did they did a, a broadside of mine. The Blasted Tree in Calgary. No mm-hmm. Press also as Derek Bullion in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Simulacrum Press in 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 Burlington, and Tim Glasset Editions in. Um, in Sweden, along with Above Ground Press, which sometimes uh, pub- has published the occasional visual poetry. So there's more and more. Full color isn't so easy, but mm-hmm. uh, so that happens. And, and and those are just some. I mean, there's a lot. Uh, Jordan Abel, the yeah. Canadian, has also does visual poetry. Shane Rhodes, a local yeah. Ottawa pro Peary, sometimes does visual mm-hmm. poetry as well. So there's, there's a lot of people. And what I was going to ask you is, mm. um, uh, have you ever thought of, I mean, you already work with photography, uh, uh, some so have you thought about d- trying to do any visual poetry i mean we've done i've when i work kind with my friend's photographer yeah, yeah we do sort of a collage where there'll be words yeah. on top of mm. images and i would do that more and i think what i would try to do in the future with that is respond to the photographs more or do mm. it a little bit more um interactive for each of the pieces and i'd probably have it less text heavy because cramming too much text on an image can be you know too busy too much so I've thought about it in that way. Um, I am not a very visual person. Okay. I am more of an auditory person. I was less like that until I, uh, sort of I married a photographer, so that right. made me more visual. Well, my background in poetry is from is from music. It's kind of how I got into it. So yeah. I can see myself doing more sound, yeah, sound yeah, based things or some audio stuff. And I've been there's a few ideas I've had in experimenting that way a little bit. The visual parts of it, I would need a collaborator. I'm not against it, but it's not my strength. And it's not really a way in which I think or innovate. So so you're not driven by that curiosity to fiddle around with... With the visual aspect? Yeah. Well, I would... There is no curiosity. There's no There's no curiosity <laughs> I'm resisting. <laughs> so it's not that I'm not driven by it. It doesn't no, exist. It doesn't exist. <laughs> For me, ever since I was little, the idea of words being alive and coming off the page like I, i'm sure i've had dreams where they were i think years ago there used to be a show called bewitched where the characters yeah. came out of the books like the little girl like tabitha she, or the characters came out of the books so i kind of feel like that with words i've always imagined them and if i could i would do 3d uh, fly-throughs of, of visible bible pieces but i don't have the talent right. to do that 
Well, I think that when you talk about just like words coming to life, for example, mm-hmm. I think they can come to life. They come to life for me in audio with audio. Sure. Right? But yeah, it's yeah, not, absolutely. It's not like a, I don't see it necessarily. It's more of like a, I don't know, another dimension type of thing experience where it's kind of just like in the air, but it's not visible. It's just kind of like... I don't know. I don't really know how to explain it's, it. It's more of a of an uh, um, an atmosphere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. It's more of an atmosphere like rather music, than a visual a tone. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So when I when I write, I think a lot about how something is said, the speed of something is mm-hmm. said, where the accents are, um, the relationship of the sounds with each other, and the, their placement, and then how they're going to echo each other or how they relate to each other, but not necessarily how they look, personally. Right. So, um, Amanda, I think that we're going to keep it as a short interview today. All right. Not that I don't think your work is worthy of talking about for a long time. But no, no, let, let's, not, let's not bore everyone with too long of it. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, right, we will talk, I'm sure, more about this topic and other topics uh, in the future. And maybe we'll have another specific conversation about a certain type of poetry in the future as well. All right. Stay tuned for more. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, Amanda, for talking about your work a little bit and uh, for giving us some suggestions on what to read. All right. Thank you. All right. Small Machine Talks with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak.